I wonder if you could just for a minute, or try to if you, are, if you have difficulty with this, but I'd love for you to imagine <clears throat> that you're an Olympic athlete. I'd love for you to imagine that all your life, your, you, your dream was to become an Olympian. And so for all of your life, you put hours and hours and hours and hours into perfecting one sport, one discipline. They actually say that it takes 10,000 hours to be considered elite at your field. So most professional athletes that you witness, what you're witnessing is 10,000 hours worth of effort plus. So imagine that you've put in 10,000 hours worth of effort and now is your opportunity to represent your country. You are the top 1% of the top 1% of athletes in the world and we are at the 2004 Olympic Games in Rio. This was what a man by the name of Matt Emmons had done. He had grown up putting thousands and thousands and thousands of hours into his discipline, which was rifle shooting. And in this one particular event, he was in a number of events at this Olympics, but in this one particular event, he had um, smashed the qualifying and he had one final shot. And he was in the position to take gold. All he had to do, this was how, how far away he had blown his opposition out of the water. All he had to do on his final shot was hit the target. This was something that was almost, this was a second nature to Emmons. And so he lines up the target, just has to hit it, doesn't even have to hit a good shot, just has to hit it. And he lines up that sight and inhales and then exhales. And as he exhales, he pulls the trigger, hits an eight, enough to win an Olympic Games gold medal. The only problem was that he hit the target on the person in the other lane to him. He completely missed his target. And didn't even, uh, not only did he not win gold, he ended up dropping down to fourth spot and missing out on a medal altogether. Wouldn't that suck? Man, don't worry, he later won gold at a different discipline in the same Olympic Games, so don't feel too bad for him. Uh, If you're new or if this is your first time tonight, my name is Chris. I just kind of wanted to start with that story because it was kind of cool. I was like, man, that was how annoying would that be? Um, But we are in part two of a four-part series that we've been doing called Define the Relationship. And really our aim with this series is to bring some clarity around what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. Last week we said that there's a lot of, um, there's a lack of clarity around this idea of what it means to follow Jesus. But we discovered last week that there's one word that kind of characterizes anyone who is in a relationship with Jesus. And the one word that we discovered last week is this word, follow. That is the characteristic of someone who is in a relationship with Jesus that they follow. In fact, uh, we, we discovered this and we said it this way. We said, regardless of what you believe or what you behave, Jesus invites you to follow him. Regardless of your beliefs about the world, regardless about how you behave, Jesus invites you to follow him. And then we said what we're going to do tonight and next week, we're going to look at a couple of misconceptions around what, what actually a relationship with Jesus looks like. And then in part four, you're, you're not going to want to miss part four. Uh, you should invite all your friends to that one. We're going to talk about why even bother following Jesus in the first place? Why, why, why even go through all the hassle? Why go through all the struggle? Why even bother following Jesus? And so to launch us into the, the misconception we, we have tonight, I want to tell you one of, the, of, one of the favorite, uh, my favorite things to do. Uh, one of the things that I just love doing, I come home and I tell my wife about this all the time, is I love having conversations with people uh, who don't know Jesus. 
For whatever reason, I just love uh, uh, engaging with people, hearing their points of view, trying to understand why they believe the things they believe. In fact, just last night, I was at a a friend's birthday drinks, and I I met this great guy. He'd uh, done his bachelor's degree, done his master's in commerce. Now he's studying for his CPA. He works in an insolvency firm. I was just listening to his story, and I was like, wow, that, that is an incredible story. But then... And then there always comes this awkward part. Uh, it happens if, if you're in uh, church, in, if you're in uh, ministry, if you're a pastor, if you're a leader in the church, but it also happens if you're a Christian, where people go, so, what do you do for work? And at that point, you know, like, everyone's having a great time, everyone's having some drinks, and I'm like, oh, I'm a pastor? Most, some people think I would say plasterer, so they think I'm a tradie, and they just kind of glaze over that. But this guy was just kind of like, oh, oh cool. And um, I get that response a lot, and maybe you get that response too when you say to people, I'm, I'm a Christian. They're kind of like, oh, oh, I don't know how to respond, I don't know, I don't know how to behave, I don't know what I should say. So, some of the, um, the ways that people respond to me, often they say things like, oh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't be swearing in front of you. My bad, I'll try better. Maybe, uh, one of the responses I often get if I'm out with friends or like at a function last night, they'll be like, but you're, you've, got a, you've got a beer, are you not, you're not allowed to drink if you're a Christian. And they had this like confused idea. Sometimes people are like, you know what? I would love to be a Christian. I just hate that you have to give up like an hour every single Sunday all the time. You know? Or, or, or I would love to be a Christian. I just, I just don't like your views on sex. I just don't like the way that you think about it, the way that you talk about it. I just, you just kind of guys make it seem like it's no fun at all. I just don't like your views on it. And really what I hear, and maybe what you hear when, when you hear responses like that, is what people begin to do, whether rightly or wrongly, they begin, to, they begin to identify that in order to be a Christian, you have to behave a certain way. We have to talk a certain way, act a certain way, hang out with a certain group of people. In order to be a Christian, you have to behave a certain way. And I don't know about you, but we as Christians kind of, kind of perpetuate this myth a little bit, don't we? You ever been in a conversation with a friend? You go, I can't do that, I'm a Christian. I couldn't go to that movie, I'm a Christian. Couldn't hang out with those people, I'm a Christian. I'd love to, but I'm a Christian. And so people are like, oh, well, you must have to behave a certain way to be a Christian. In fact, Christians, we do this thing, it's really weird. If you've never been to church before, you'll like listen to this like, what? But we do this thing, um, Christians, and we say it like, well, that wasn't very Christian of them, was it? Can you believe what they were the other night? That is so not a Christian place to be. And we, we, we kind of perpetuate this myth, and, 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 and probably not deliberately, but unintentionally, what we, we say is that we equate following Jesus to following a list of rules or behaving in a particular way. And this is, this is not common at all. This is, this is not common at all. In fact, in Jesus' day, there was a group of religious people who, they were the, some of the best followers you have ever met. In fact, if you were to look at people and you say, who, who are followers of God? Who are people that follow God? You would point to this group of religious people and you would say, they are. They are followers of God. They behave the right way. They talk the right way. They dress the right way. They follow so hard. And when Jesus stepped into the pages of history, Jesus said, you know what? You guys follow so well. You follow so hard. In fact, you might be some of the most dedicated followers I've ever seen in my life. The problem is, you're not following God. The problem for these religious people was they were following a list of rules and rituals. And what I want to do tonight 
is I want to bring you in on a conversation that Jesus had. It's not really a conversation, it's more of like Jesus absolutely lost it and just got into an absolute yelling match with these religious leaders. And he did it in church as well. Of all places to get into a yelling match, Jesus got into a yelling match in church with some of these religious leaders. And the reason that Jesus got into this yelling match, because Jesus was trying to explain to them and clarify to them and make it crystal clear that God is not after you to behave a particular way to follow him. He's after something so much more. And we're going to discover what that much more is tonight. And we find this conversation recorded in, uh, in Matthew's biography on the, on the life of Jesus, in Matthew 23, if you want to open your Bibles, otherwise it'll come up on the screen, but it starts out, Matthew starts out this story, he says, then Jesus said to the crowds and his disciples. So Jesus had kind of been teaching all morning, been teaching for a, a while, and people had started to listen to him. In, in that day and age, church really wasn't a building like this, it was, it was a big area, there were buildings, but there were kind of these different areas that you would kind of move into the place of worship, and Jesus was in one of these outer areas in a courtyard. And he was teaching in this courtyard of the temple and, and a crowd, we don't know how big, but whatever you imagine a crowd to be, a couple of hundred, maybe a thousand people are sitting there listening to Jesus. And Jesus had been teaching them for, for a while, and then he starts to notice the religious leaders start to filter in and push their way through the crowd to try and listen to what he's talking about. And it's at that point that Jesus changes the direction of what he's been teaching. He starts a new um, idea. And he says, the teachers of religious law and Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So he's, he's talking to his, the crowd. He's not talking to the religious leaders. He's just kind of talking about them, but it's okay because they're in earshot. And he's saying, hey, the, to all the people, he's saying, hey, these guys, their job is to be professional studiers. In that day and age, their job was to be professional studiers. From morning till night, they would get up and they would read their Bibles. They would read the scripture and they would, they would try and understand it. They would take notes. And then what they would do is they would teach it to everyone else. And their way, because there was no internet back then, what they taught was it. You couldn't go on Google and like cross-check it. You couldn't like get your own Bible and just pull it out and see what it was there. Their law and what they said was it. And so Jesus kind of makes this statement. These guys are professionals at what they do. And then he goes on. He says, so practice and obey whatever they tell you kind of what you would hope Jesus would say of someone who's a professional, right? If someone does this all day, every day, you're kind of going to hope that Jesus is like, hey, these guys are actually good at what they do. So what I want you to do is I want you to practice and I want you to obey what they tell you. But it wouldn't be Jesus if he didn't offend someone. And Jesus, in an instant, kind of changes the tone of the conversation. He says, practice and obey them. He says, but don't follow their example for they don't practice what they teach. Jesus is saying, listen to the words that come out of their mouth, but don't go looking too closely at their lives. Because if you look too closely at their lives, if you try to follow them, you'll find something different to what comes out of their mouths. If you weren't here last week, I confess that I had a man crush on Zac Efron. Uh, if you want to hear the full confession, you can go on our Facebook or our iTunes and listen to part one, um, and you can blast that out all over the internet. But I had a man crush on, on Zac Efron. And uh, last week, we kind of talked about Zac Efron in my favorite Zac Efron movie, Are We Officially Dating? But Zac has another classic because he's just such a great actor. Um, he's won a whole heap of Emmys and Oscars. If you don't know who Zac Efron is, just trust me on that. Don't Google it. And um, he does this one movie called 17 Again. 
And there's this scene in 17 again where Zac Efron um, and his co-star kind of talk about this idea of peacocking. And rather than try and explain it to you, because I'm actually not really funny, um, well, you already knew that anyway, you've been listening to me for five minutes. Um, Rather than try and explain it to you, I thought I'd just show you this clip. What are you wearing? That one. No, what? Oh, the clothes. Oh, wait. To the untrained eye, I look like a total idiot. You do, in fact. Ah, but it's actually a seduction technique known as peacocking. My outfit serves the dual function of icebreaker and attention getter. You can go in now. Watch. Are you peacocking? Really? You think that's gonna work? I think it's just mine. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, and if you're new to church, um, this, can be, this can be new for you just like it is new for everyone. But if I was to try and describe the Pharisees, I would kind of say that their approach to God was kind of like peacocking. They, they just looked a certain way and they were just kind of sitting there and going, saying, God, look at me. God, pay attention to me. God, God, over here. God, over here. God, just look at me. And everyone else is kind of like, you guys just look so ridiculous. But they're like, don't trust me. It's a technique. You wouldn't understand because you're not religious like us. You're not a Pharisee like us. You don't know how to peacock the way that we know how to peacock. And Jesus, Jesus continues on this, this idea. And what he, says, he's, what he says next is why you should not follow these peacocking Pharisees. He says they crush people under unbearable de- religious demands and never lift a burden. Sorry, a finger to ease the burden. In other words, they, th- they, they take good things like prayer. They take good things like reading their Bible. They take good things like going to church and what they do is they say, now you need to do it all day, every day. Now you you have to do it without a break. In In order to be really, really good, what you need to do is fast and deprive yourself of food for long, long periods. And so they made it this unbearable burden for people to actually get towards God. They just put law after law after law after law after law after law. And really, what they were doing was kind of getting God to say, hey God, look at me. God, look at my cool cowboy hat. God, notice that I'm wearing the new Beckham cologne. God, pay attention to me. And Jesus starts to get wound up about it. And Jesus says this next. He says, everything they do is for show. Jesus says, if you were to look at what's inside their heart, you would very quickly see that the only reason that they read their Bible, the only reason they pray, the only reason they go to church is to try and get God's attention. And maybe some of you are sitting there and you're kind of like, well, hang on a minute, Chris, isn't there, like, there's 10 commandments and stuff, you know, like I heard about that, like, I don't really go to church, but I've heard that there's 10 commandments, like I've heard that Jesus talks about, like, some things you should do, like, if you want to, if you want to follow him, that there's like a way to live. And, and that is absolutely true. But something we don't know and something maybe, uh, you di- maybe uh, is unfamiliar to you is that the way that Jesus approaches rules is much like parents approach rules with, uh, with you when you were a kid. You know, the stove is hot, don't touch the stove. And you're kind of like, I just want to find out what it is. And God is a heavenly father who loves you. 
And so when he sets these rules, they're not, they're not rules to say, do this, do this, get into heaven, not get into heaven. They're rules about a way of life. And they're a way of life because God says, hey, I love you, and you're my son, and you're my daughter, and I've created you. And if God has created us, doesn't it just make sense that God would know how best for us to live our lives and what ways to, that we could get the most fulfillment and the most joy and the most happiness? In fact, the way I would put it, if, if you're kind of new to church and you're trying to understand it, that, that the, the rules in Christianity or the laws in Christianity are this way. Rules are for direction and protection, not to gain attention. God sets these up to direct us and say, if you want to have healthy relationships, you should consider doing these things. If you want to be really good with your finances, you should uh, consider doing these things. If you want to have great interactions in the workplace, here's a way to do it. And if, and if you step outside of that, there will be consequences. And you know there's consequences because you've set up rules and parameters and then you've stepped outside them and you felt the effects. But the rules are not to gain God's attention. They're to help us have the best life possible. And so Jesus sees the Pharisees kind of taking these rules, taking this way of living and exploiting it against people. And he just goes off. In fact, Jesus launches into this absolute tirade on the Pharisees, and there's, there's one word that he use, uses over and over and over and over and over again. And I'm not going to show you the entire tirade, I just want to show you a snippet of it, but uh, if you want to check it out, you can check it out for yourself in Matthew 23. In fact, if you wouldn't really consider yourself a Christian, you should just open up Matthew 23, just Google Matthew 23, and just read the entire spiel that Jesus says to these Pharisees and these religious leaders. And the one word that occurs over and over and over again is this word, hypocrite. Hypocrites. Now, in that culture, a hypocrite was an actor, an actor at a play. And oftentimes there would just be one actor and they would be dressed in a, in a black kind of suit and they would play the different characters in the part. And one, character, one actor would play maybe four or five different characters, or maybe there'd be a couple of actors, and all throughout the play, they would put on a mask. And as they would change into a different character, they'd put on a different mask. And that's going to be important in a second. But what Jesus says next, he says, Hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. And maybe you're sitting there and like, What? Jesus kind of clarifies in his next thing. He says, outwardly, you look righteous, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. In other words, what Jesus is saying to these Pharisees is the reason that you're a hypocrite is because you keep putting on mask after mask after mask after mask after mask, and you think that the way to get God's attention is to put on a mask. You think that what God is really after, what God is really focused on, is not the real you, but a fake version of you. And so you just keep putting mask after mask, and then what you do is you teach other people to put on masks. You teach all the other people that you're, you're up there, and you're these religious leaders, and you're telling other people, hey, put on these masks, put on these masks, and what you're telling people is that they are not good enough for God. And the reason that Jesus is so mad about it is because of this. And if you take nothing else away from tonight, I want you to take this away. The reason Jesus is so mad is because Jesus doesn't desire your perfection. 
but rather your heart's attention. Jesus invited people all the time to follow him, who didn't believe what he believed and didn't behave the way that he behaved. What Jesus wanted was the attention of their hearts. Because at the center of Christianity, and in a few years' time, Jesus would eventually go to a cross and give his life. And he would give his life not to extend an invitation for us to follow a set of rules, but he would give his life to extend an invitation for us to follow him. Not because we want to be perfect, but because Jesus was perfect in our place. And so I want to make this really practical. I want to make this really practical because there's one thing to be like, oh man, Jesus really went in on those religious dudes. Like, oh, that's cool. Um, but I want, to, I want to give you just a question to ask this week. Because for some of us, we can be aiming down the sights and we can be looking down the sights of a relationship with God. And maybe you've been a Christian for a long time and so you're looking down the sights and you think you, you've lined up at the right target. And maybe for some of you, you've kind of been looking in on the outside and you think you kind of know what you are looking at when you look at Christianity. But I would hate for you to go through your entire life and either miss the target because you'd been looking at the wrong thing the entire time or I would hate for you to not even have the opportunity to look at the target because you thought that what it was at the end was something that you didn't want to have to deal with. And so tonight, I just want to ask you to go away and answer this question. What are you aiming at? When it comes to Christianity, when it comes to Jesus... What are you aiming at? When you look down the sights of Christianity, what do you see? And, and I understand um, that there are some of you in this room that are probably thinking to yourself, why even bother? Why, why even bother with this? Why, why would I take the time to ask this question? It seems such a silly question because I really should know the answer, shouldn't I? But maybe for some of you, you actually push back against answering this question because you, you've for whatever reason, believe it's all about rules. Probably because you've watched Christians for long enough and you think it's all about the rules. But why bother? Because deep down, don't you want it to be more than just about the rules? Deep down, don't you secretly hope that it's not about the way you live your life? Not because you don't feel good enough, but because you know that you don't measure up to your standard let alone God's standard. Deep down, don't you want something a little bit more? So I want to challenge you, just take five minutes this week to think about this question. That might be in the morning, if you're a morning person, in the quiet before everyone gets up. It might be on your lunch break. Maybe for those of you who stay up till 3 a.m., that's, that's where it's quiet for you. When everyone else is asleep, you'll have five minutes to think about it then. But I want you to honestly think about why bother? Oh, sorry, what are you aiming at? And I get that for some of you who are not Christians in this room, you're, you're really saying like, why bother? Why bother? Why bother? And I get that. But I just want you to know this, that Jesus didn't die for humanity. He died for each human. Which means even if you don't believe in Jesus, he died for you. And what that means, if you think about it, is that if there was only one person on the planet, and Jesus would have still come and given his life for them. 
And if you were the only person on the planet and Jesus came and you witnessed him give his life for you, would you think it was all about rules? Or would you think that God had stepped into history to gain the attention of your heart? As we land the plane, as we land the plane in the last couple of minutes, I just, I just want to talk specifically to those of us who would consider ourselves followers of Christians, uh, followers of Jesus. Jeez, followers of Christians. Wow, it's been a long day. Um, yes, uh, I've lost my train of thought. That's okay. I just, yeah, I want to speak to those of us who would consider ourselves followers of Jesus. And the reason why is because when you hear a message like this, there's this tendency to be like, oh, been there, done that, check that box. I've heard that so many times, Chris. I've watched that YouTube video. I've read it in the Bible. I've been in Bible studies. I've, I've been to church. Like, I know it's rules over relationship. Sorry, relationship over rules. I know it's about a relationship. I know it's not about following a whole list of rules. Chris, I know that already. And so there's this tendency to sort of sit back and think, this is for someone else. This message is not for me because I already know this. But the thing is, so did the Pharisees. They thought they already knew what it was all about. And through the way they lived their life, they looked down the barrel of the gun and they got caught following rules and rituals instead of following Jesus. So tonight, if you're a follower of Jesus, I just want you to think about some of the characteristics that may be present in your life if you are aiming at rules. And this is probably not something that you're going to be able to answer on your own. This is something you're probably going to have to sit down with someone who knows you well, maybe someone you trust, and you're going to say, hey, are any of these things present in my life? And you're going to need to be ready for the answer. Because what often tends to happen as Christians when we aim at rules is we begin to emphasize law over love. We begin to tell people, hey, well, you should do this and you should do that and you didn't do this and you didn't do that and Jesus won't love you because of all these things instead of emphasizing the love that we've so freely been given. Another thing that we do uh, when we aim at rules is we choose guilt over grace. We love to make people feel guilty when they don't measure up to the standard that we know they fall short of and we lord it over them. And we kind of hold it above their heads and we feel good about ourselves because we've made them feel guilty when we should be pouring out grace on to them. And here's probably the most difficult thing. When we aim down the barrel as Christians and when we aim at rules, we actually make coming to Jesus difficult, not easy. We often say all the time here that our vision is to create a church that unchurched people love to attend. We don't do that to be cool. We don't do that because, you know, we, we think that it would be great to have a huge Instagram following. We do it because we want to remove every single barrier that stands between a person and knowing Jesus. We want to make it easy for people to meet their Heavenly Father. We want to make it easy for people who come to know Jesus. The amount of Christians who grew up in the church who say, I walked away from the faith because I thought it was about a whole heap of rules is disturbing. Imagine the people who didn't even go to church and just look in from the outside. If you thought that and you grew up in church, imagine what people from the outside think just looking in. So we dare not, not stop to think and evaluate what are we aiming at because we may need to readjust our sights. 
But the great news is that we don't have to readjust our sights 10 years down the track. We don't have to readjust our sights after we've been professional law interpreters for, for our whole life. We don't have to adjust it. We can adjust our sights right now. And we have the opportunity to do that right this week. Because after all, Jesus doesn't require us to be perfect. So why should we require anyone else to be perfect? Why don't we take some time, see where we're uh, we're aiming, and be a group of imperfect people, pointing people towards a perfect saviour, who's not after their perfection, but after the attention of their hearts. I'd love to pray for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the words that Matthew recorded. Sometimes it can be so easy for us to just look down the barrel and think that we're aiming at the right target, only to realize, like Matt Emmons, that we were lining up the one in the opposite lane all along. And Lord, we don't want to be a community that does that. And Lord, I pray for anyone here tonight who maybe has had a uh, a taste of Christianity where they felt it's been all law because that's not what it's about Lord Father you set those uh, rules up for our direction and our protection you set those laws up so we can have a fullness of life and Lord I pray tonight that every single person in this place who follows you would just take some time to reflect this week because we dare not stand in the way of someone coming to know their heavenly father because we unintentionally started to follow rules and started to fo- instead following Jesus. Lord, let us not be a place that follows rules. Let us be a place that follows you. Let us be a place where imperfect people gather to point towards a perfect savior. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen.